So if you'll please welcome Brent to the stage. Thank you, Tim. Uh, that might be a hard intro to live up to. Um, I, I'm just grateful that Tim was the first one that had to speak after worship and not me. Uh, I, I had goosebumps after that last song. Man, that was, that was cool. Um, all right. <clears throat> Well, I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, I'm glad to help us continue to walk through our series in the book of John this summer. Uh, and this morning, we're going to see what kind of good news that John has for us. Uh, last week, we saw Jesus interacting with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And in today's episode, we're going to see Jesus uh, interacting with someone that's almost the exact polar opposite of Nicodemus. Uh, and I think that in and of itself, as we put these two episodes back to back, is going to be instructive for us. Uh, before I jump in, this passage, there's just a ton of good material here, and there's no way that I can get through all of it this morning. Uh, so what I want to do is uh, focus more on the circumstances of Jesus' interaction with this person uh, rather than the content. We'll touch on that, but mostly we're going to talk about the circumstances. And uh, the reason for that is that as I was studying over the last couple of weeks, I was both really encouraged uh, by what was going on with Jesus' interaction with this person, and I was really challenged. And so those are things that I want to share with you guys uh, this morning. So today's episode begins uh, with Jesus leaving uh, the area of Judea, which is in southern Israel, and deciding to head north to Galilee, which is in northern Israel. And he's doing this because uh, his ministry has started to attract some unwanted attention from the religious leaders uh, in Jerusalem. And so rather than uh, stay around and risk a confrontation, he decides it's better for us to head north. And I think we might have a map somewhere that you guys can look at. If not, that's all right. Just trust me. Um, One thing you had to deal with in those days, uh, if you were a Jew traveling from Judea to Galilee, is you had to figure out, what do I do with the area of Samaria, which exists between Galilee and Uh, in the north in Judea and the south. And here's the deal. So uh, Samaria was inhabited by a group of people who hundreds of years before uh, had started incorporating the worship of gods of surrounding countries into their practice of the Jewish faith. And the result was sort of a hybrid religion uh, that the Jews saw as impure. And because of that, it caused this huge source of division uh, and animosity between the two people groups. Uh, so much so that it was not uncommon for Jews to go around Samaria on the eastern side uh, to get to Galilee in the north. Uh, and that, that was no small thing because uh, if you remember during these time periods, people are traveling mostly by foot uh, or maybe on donkey. And so making that roundabout excursion would have added two to maybe three days to their journey. Okay, so that, that there should just give you a picture of uh, how intense the divide was between these two people groups. Uh, they did not get along well. Well, as usual, uh, Jesus decides to take his followers uh, to places that they didn't expect and maybe weren't hoping they would have to go. Um, so in John 4, we read this. Uh, verse 4, uh, Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Now, did you catch the word choice there? It said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It indicates that there was a a purpose in doing this. Uh, Jesus could have taken the socially acceptable 
uh, route and gone around Samaria like most people would have. But instead, he intentionally moves into unfriendly uh, and uncomfortable territory. And based on what we can see later in the passage, I'm pretty sure his disciples were not super excited about the route that Jesus was deciding to take. Well, uh, picking up where we left off uh, a moment ago, we read this. So Jesus uh, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the pot of land uh, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Uh, These are famous people that John is mentioning from the Old Testament, as readers would have known who they were, so it helps them understand the the story. Uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then John tells us his disciples had gone into town to buy food. All right, so Jesus and his disciples are, are traveling north. They get to this town. They stop at the well outside of the town, which is probably half mile to a mile from the town. Uh, and it's lunchtime. And so the disciples, they're going to go into town and get lunch. And my guess is the plan was that they would have lunch here, and then they would head on to their whatever their final destination was that day. This is kind of like the truck stop on the way to wherever they're going. But Jesus decides to stay at the well and rest. And while he's there, uh, he meets a Samaritan woman who's come out to draw water. Now, on the surface, this might seem like just a totally normal chance interaction. But there are at least three elements to this whole encounter that make it unusual. And the first two are found in the next verse. Uh, In verse 9, we read this. The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John tells us that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So it's clear that this woman is surprised that Jesus is talking to her. Uh, And we know that because she doesn't immediately respond to his request for water, but instead she immediately points out the things that separate them as people. Uh, The fact that she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew is something we've already touched on. Uh, Because of the animosity between the two people groups, they did not normally associate with one another, especially not in a friendly fashion. Uh, In fact, it's possible that the woman was actually offended that Jesus would even dare to talk to her. Uh, she, She could have been upset about it. So there's already this uncomfortableness to the interaction. On top of this, uh, both the woman and Jesus would have been familiar uh, with some of the religious traditions of the day, uh, and they would have known that if Jesus took a drink from her water jar, it would have made him unclean in a religious sense, uh, which would would have required him to separate himself from other Jews for a period of time, uh, up to a week, and then he would have had to perform some sort of religious religious uh, ritual before he could be accepted back into uh, public worship again. So it would have been a real hassle for everybody involved had he decided to take a drink. <clears throat> but interestingly, uh, this difference in culture or uh, nationality doesn't seem to be a problem for Jesus. It doesn't stop him from talking to her at all. Uh, he just jumps right into the conversation. The other issue that we see in this verse is that, is that the person he's talking to is a woman. Uh, in the first century, the rule among Jewish religious leaders, uh, or rabbis, which is what Jesus was seen as, was that they would not talk to women in public, which I know sounds a little crazy, but different century, different time. Uh, in fact, according to uh, rabbinic writings of the day, uh, we learned this, quote, 
one should not talk to a woman on the street, not even his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife because of the gossip of men. And we also read, it's forbidden to give a woman any greeting. So again, I know this sounds like an odd thing uh, for us to hear in 21st century America, uh, but in the first century Palestine, this is how religious leaders had to operate. And, and what we see here is uh, men wanting to not even be close to putting themselves in a position where someone might think that they were having an inappropriate conversation with somebody else's woman. And I get the desire to like avoid uh, getting yourself in trouble in public, but it seems like they've taken the extreme measure here uh, and decided we're just going to have no contact at all. <clears throat> Whether you like the rule or not, uh, both Jesus and the woman were aware of it. And so for her, uh, she knew this is somebody that should not be talking to me. All right. Already she's, I'm a Samaritan and he's a Jew, so this is an issue. But, but he's a Jewish religious leader and I'm a woman. There's no reason he should be talking to me. But once again, her gender does not stop Jesus from wanting to have a conversation with her. So there's two of the issues. The third one uh, uh, is found in, it's hinted at in the verse before this, but uh, it has to do with the time of day. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but last week when we looked at Jesus uh, interacting with uh, Nicodemus, the religious leader, uh, his interaction with Nicodemus was at a strange time of day, right? He came at night instead of during the day uh, so that nobody else would know that he was there. Uh, we have a similar thing going on here. Most of the time, uh, women in that day would have come out to the well from their, their town to get water either early in the morning or late in the day when it was much cooler. But this woman is there at noon, and so it sort of begs the question, why is she there at noon instead of early in the morning or, or late in the day? Uh, it could be something simple. It could just be that there was a water emergency at her home, and in the middle of the day, they needed more water, and so she had to come out and get it. But from what we see from the rest of the passage, I don't know that that's the case. I think it's more likely uh, that she wanted to be there at a time of day where she could avoid other people from the town because she knew that she would be treated poorly by them because of her immoral lifestyle. Uh, in verses 16 to 18, which I'm just going to summarize for you, uh, we find out that this woman has had five husbands, and the man that she's currently living with is not her husband. Uh, now, if any one or more of those husbands uh, would have just died, then the passage probably would have referred to her as being a widow of some kind. That's typically uh, how things are phrased in, uh, in the Bible. But it doesn't. It doesn't mention that at all. And so likely what's happened here is that this woman uh, has been divorced uh, at least four times, uh, possibly a fifth. Uh, and in the, the Jewish culture of that day, only the husband could, could initiate a divorce. And so what this means is this woman has been rejected by men that she's married at least four times, if not five. Um, and we have to wonder, why is that? And most likely, it has to do with uh, a pattern of bringing dishonor to the family, whether that was just through not fulfilling her duties uh, as a wife, or more likely, in light of some of the, the phrasing, uh, because there's a pattern of uh, unfaithfulness in her life to her husband's. Uh, in fact, the wording that says that the woman she's the man she's currently living with is not her husband, implies that she's still married to husband number five, but is cheating on him and is living with 
a sixth man. Uh, so however you slice this, uh, we've got a woman who has a reputation uh, that isn't really great in the community. Um, she, she has a history of, of being unwanted by others, uh, whether through their, their choosing or her own behavior. Uh, and, and society would have said that this is a person that Jesus would have had every right to just totally ignore and not give her the time of day. But that's not what Jesus does. Uh, in fact, his own disciples are shocked when they come back from getting lunch in town and see him talking to a woman. Uh, in verse 27, we read, Just then, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, Why are you talking with her? Uh, thankfully, the disciples kept their thoughts to themselves in that moment uh, and just let Jesus continue with his conversation. So here's the thing. <clears throat> Despite what even his own disciples or society would have said, Jesus did not ignore this woman that he had every right to do so. In fact, he does something completely unexpected. Uh, In addition to treating her with kindness and respect, Jesus actually reveals to her that he is the long-awaited Messiah that both his people, the Jews, and her people, the Samaritans, have been expecting and waiting for for hundreds of years. Okay, Now, uh, it, well, in John in chapter uh, four twenty verse twenty five here, let me back up a second. Uh, this is we see this actually happen. Uh, the woman says they've been talking about uh, what's proper worship, and it seems like Jesus and this woman can't quite agree on where the right place to worship is. So instead of pushing the matter anymore, uh, the woman sort of gives a I give up kind of kind of approach, uh, which turns out to be something really amazing. Uh, verse 25, the woman says, well, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything. So she's just kind of trying to put the, the subject under the table and, and hope to move on. Uh, but what Jesus says in re- reply is incredible. Uh, in verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one who's speaking to you, am he. Uh, of all the people that Jesus could have chosen to reveal himself to as the Messiah, he chooses the Samaritan woman, okay? the person that society said he should completely ignore. <clears throat> and this is even more amplified when you think about this episode being right after the episode with Nicodemus, right? So Nicodemus was as close to a celebrity in Jewish culture as you could get. Uh, he was a member of the, the sect of the Pharisees, which was the most well-known group, uh, religious group in the Jewish uh, community. But on top of that, he was a member of the ruling council. So everyone in Jerusalem, at minimum, knew who he was. Even surrounding areas knew who this guy was. He was famous. And I think society would have said, if anyone deserved to have Jesus reveal reveal himself as the Messiah to someone, it would have been Nicodemus. He was the guy that had earned it, right? But Jesus doesn't pick him. He picks the Samaritan woman that no one would have said even come close to deserving to have that revealed to her. Uh, <clears throat> this, this honor, uh, so it's the first time in John's gospel that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. Uh, and this honor is not lost on the woman. Uh, not only does she immediately believe in him and choose to follow him as the Messiah, 
But she leaves her water jugs, which is the whole reason she came to the well in the first place. She runs back into town. She tells everyone that she knows who will listen to her that she has just met a man that is probably the Messiah. And the result is a huge crowd from the town comes out to the well to meet Jesus and see for themselves. And a large number of them end up deciding to follow Jesus themselves. So this interaction impacts the entire town. We're not just talking about one hated Samaritan who's following Jesus now, but a whole crowd of them. <clears throat> All right, so uh, I'm going to pause there in our, our story for a moment. Uh, like I said, there's a ton of great stuff in this passage. There's just really cool, really cool conversation about uh, Jesus being uh, living water that parallels the whole uh, being born again from the conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, but what I want to focus on here uh, for the next few minutes uh, <clears throat> are, one, uh, what I think is really encouraging about this passage is what I would call the good news of the passage. Uh, and then I want to focus on something that's really challenging, at least it was to me as I was studying the last couple weeks. So first, the encouraging part. Uh, as we think about who this person is that Jesus is interacting compared with who he was interacting with last week, uh, I think one of the things that we learn is that it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or if you're someone that society has just cast aside or if you're just an average, ordinary, normal person somewhere in between. Whatever your background is or whatever your life situation is, Jesus has room for you in his kingdom. There is room for you in the family of God, okay? Uh, if you're listening this morning, whether you're here or whether you're online, uh, if you find yourself in a place in life where you feel isolated or maybe feeling like you don't have a place to belong, or maybe you feel like you've just made too many mistakes in life, uh, or maybe life is going great, but you just feel lonely and disconnected, there is good news for you this morning. Jesus has room for you in his kingdom. And this should be good news for all of us, all right? It was no small thing that he was talking to the woman he was talking to that day. He was very intentional about going there to illustrate to his disciples, it doesn't matter who you are, you're welcome in my kingdom. All right, so that's the good news. Uh, that's John's project, is, is telling good news to people who would, <clears throat> who would listen. Uh, but that brings me to the challenging part of this passage. You see, uh, unlike Jesus, my natural response when I encounter somebody that's different than me is not to necessarily embrace them immediately, but is more likely to avoid them. Um, and my guess is that if we're honest with ourselves, uh, all of us respond that way to one degree or another. Uh, today's culture doesn't necessarily help us avoid that tendency uh, or resist it. Uh, I think more than ever we're being told regularly to focus on all the reasons why we disagree with one another or what's different about us from another person. And I think it's creating this atmosphere where more and more I see people uh, retreating into, into sort of a self-protective mode. Uh, people are more and more gathering with people that look and think and act uh, and talk like they do. And it's starting to divide uh, our country <clears throat> and our society. Uh, the problem with that sort of mentality is that, as the, the passage illustrates, that's not the way of Jesus at all. And if we're going to be serious about following him as his disciples, that can't be our way either. 
I just can't. Um, when I was studying the message, uh, I came across a quote this week, and this is infuriating because uh, I went back to try and find this quote because it really impacted me. For the life of me, I can't find it. So uh, if some of you are online this week and you find this and you figure out where it came from, please let me know. Uh, I would love to figure out where this came from. Uh, but it struck me because it so captured this idea uh, of the passage. Uh, and the quote goes like this. It says, people that we don't like because they're different from us uh, are people that Jesus loves. Let me say that again. People that we don't like or that we avoid because they're different than us are people that Jesus loves. Jesus broke at least three societal norms when he interacted with this woman, uh, <clears throat> all for the, the sake of bringing her good news. Uh, he ignored her nationality, uh, he ignored her gender, and he ignored her reputation. And then he invited her to follow him as one of his disciples. He was willing to put himself and his disciples uh, in a really uncomfortable situation for the good of someone that society said he should ignore. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I think about that, that's the kind of person I want to be. Uh, and I, I know as I talk with Tim and our staff, uh, that's who we want to be as New Cove, as a church. Uh, we want to be people that make everyone, even the unwanted, feel seen and loved and known. Because that's how Jesus treats people. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> well, how do we do that? Uh, I don't have an exhaustive answer for that, but I do want to point out at least three uh, suggestions of how we can begin to do that that I think come from our passage. Uh, the first one is just to not avoid people that are different from us. Uh, my guess is if you stop and think about it, there are people at your workplaces or in your neighborhood uh, or at your school uh, or even at the grocery store that don't look or talk or act or think like you do. Uh, I, even right now, I, I can think of some, there's one set of neighbors that as I walk my dog uh, each morning, I really am grateful if they're not in the yard and I don't have to talk with them because um, they're, they're difficult uh, for me. And I don't like that that's my, my gut reaction, but I can think of those people. And so if I can, you probably can too. But instead of avoiding them, what if, uh, we took just some small steps to start engaging with those people. Uh, if it's somebody that you don't know, it could be simple as asking their name or where they grew up, uh, what kind of work they do. Uh, if you do know them, maybe you just interact on a really safe topic like the weather or Husker sports. Uh, those work for me all the time. Uh, for some reason, walking my dog is part of the conversation this morning, but my dog is the topic of the conversation every time I'm out in the neighborhood. Uh, so think of something safe and just ignore, just interact with people that way. And I guarantee you that even these little interactions that you would have with somebody can be huge for them. It lets people know that you see them uh, and that they matter to you, even if you're just talking about something basic like that. So, uh, so first, let's not avoid people that are different from us. Second, let's treat those who are different from us with kindness and respect. Uh, Jesus' conversation, we didn't have time to get into this, uh, most likely was kind of heated at times. It wasn't just this pleasant, you know, hey, what do you think about worship? And, oh, I don't know, what do you think? Uh, because of the cultural clash that was going on there, 
uh, you get the sense that the woman is really sort of upset with some of the things uh, that they're talking about. And she can be a little harsh to Jesus at times. But Jesus was never harsh back. He was always kind and respectful, uh, even when she was harsh. In fact, even when they're talking about her difficult past, uh, Jesus is gentle uh, and, and kind in the words that he uses. And <clears throat> if that's how he's going to treat people, then maybe we should too. He showed her the same respect that he showed, he showed Nicodemus in the previous episode. And so uh, the next time you're having to talk with somebody that maybe it's different or difficult for you, uh, try to imagine them as someone that you really admire and, and treat them that way. Uh, I, think, I think that's what Jesus would have us do. All right, lastly, uh, I want us to be open to opportunities to spend time with people that are different from us. Uh, I'm guessing that when Jesus' disciples arrived at the town that day, they were thinking, man, let's just run into town, grab some lunch, and then just get out of here as quickly as we can. We don't really like being here, so let's, let's move on. But after the crowd shows up at the well uh, and meets Jesus and interacts with him, they actually end up inviting him to come stay with them. And Jesus and his disciples end up staying two days with people that they've never met before. Uh, now, I'm not suggesting that you, just, you go out and have a two-day overnight with people you don't know. That's not, that's not what I think we're the takeaway here. Uh, but I do think that Jesus wants to say yes to people when they invite us to spend time with them. I know that we all have busy lives and tons of things going on, uh, but if there's a way that you can not say no when somebody different than you invites you to spend time with them in some way or another, whether it's a meal or, or hanging out, uh, try not to say no every time. Uh, saying yes communicates you're someone that's worth having a relationship with, and I'm willing to spend time with you. Uh, and I think that that's what Jesus would have us do, spend time with those that are different from us. All right, so there's the good news. There's room for us. There's room for all of us in Jesus' kingdom. Uh, and the challenge is to not treat people who are different than us uh, any differently than Jesus would have treated them. Uh, my hope is that somewhere in that passage, there's some encouragement for you this morning. Uh, I also hope that there's a challenge for you there this morning, uh, and that Jesus might speak to you specifically about how you might live that out this week. Uh, so let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, that you didn't avoid us, uh, but that you, you sent Jesus into this world, that we could see what you were like, that we could know what it would be like to interact with you, uh, and we could know that you wanted a relationship with us. Uh, Father, this morning, I want to thank you uh, that there's room for each of us, wherever we come from, uh, in your kingdom, and that you want relationship with us. Uh, and Father, for those of us who are followers of you. Father, thank you for the challenge that, uh, like your son, we should not avoid those who are different from us, but we should be willing to embrace them and offer them uh, life in your name the same way that you offered that to us. So God, uh, would you give us the courage uh, this week to be kind to people that uh, maybe are a little challenging for us to do that to? Um, and as we do, God, would you Bless us with seeing uh, the fruit of initiating a relationship with people that are different from us. Uh, God, we're so grateful that that's how you live, and we want to be people who live like that as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks.